0: Welcome to the ARC Stories Podcast. ARC Stories are true, personal, and told in person at ARC Stories events by the people who lived them. Our podcast brings recordings of those stories straight to you for your listening enjoyment. I'm your host, story coach, Chris Kinsley. Today, we're doing something a little different here on the podcast. We're still going to be bringing you two great stories, but these two are about as fresh as you can get them. They are both from our latest event just over a week ago, and the reason we're doing this is because that event was actually sold out, standing room only, and so we know that there were many of you that were unable to be there, and it was such a great night that we wanted to go ahead and share some of these stories, and these two were easily some of the crowd favorites from the night. Our theme for that event was, so there I was. Stories that begin, so there I was. And yes, these stories literally begin with that phrase, so there I was. And the situations that these tellers find themselves in definitely have them asking, how did I get here? And in this first one, our teller is actually asking that question about a relationship. So without further ado, here's our first storyteller, Eunice Elliott.
1: So there I was thinking about what life choices I had made that had led me to this moment of standing in front of a group of strangers, attending a football game, being cursed out about Doritos. So, just to give you a little bit of background on me, um, I've always been known for making really good choices professionally. I worked at ESPN in Connecticut. I worked for the Tennessee Titans in Nashville. I moved to Miami, worked for the Orange Bowl Committee, worked for an agent in Atlanta. I was a publicist for professional athletes. I mean, I was a very impressively known type character. But somehow, in my romantic choices, I was also the one who had dated a homeless guy for three months before I figured it out. You know? In my defense, he was a stylist and he told me he was on tour, so that's why he always had luggage when he came to my house. Oh, so y'all, oh, y'all would've known better. Okay, whatever. I'm also, um, I'm also the one who dated a car salesman who didn't have a car. <laughs> so. But again, I was overwhelmingly known as a person who makes good choices and decisions. Give me a couple of mulligans here and there. So one day I had this bright idea in 2006 to leave my uh, professional pursuits in Atlanta and to move back to Alabama just to be a family member, because as I've told you, I had these highlights of my life, but I just wanted to come home and be a family member. So part of coming home and being a family member meant I moved into my brother's spare bedroom in Hueytown, Alabama, which was a little different than Atlanta and Miami and Connecticut and Nashville and anything that you do on purpose. And, um, <laughs> but hey, I was with my family and that was important to me. This is also around the time that I established a MySpace account. (laughs) So we know where this is going. And so I'm figuring out MySpace and you're finding friends on MySpace and so I connected with a gentleman who we just kind of start talking to each other on MySpace and so he invited me out to meet him for a drink and that sounded completely safe. This is pre-Craigslist killer, right? And um, and so I met him at his favorite spot which was Applebee's in Homewood. (laughs) Now, here's the thing, here's the thing. So I've told you all these high profile things I had done and none of those situations that I had ever been in had led me to a great love. You know, I dated really high profile people and celebrities and athletes and actors and coaches and financial advisors, but none of them worked out. So the fact that this guy that I met on MySpace invited me to Applebee's was, in that moment, refreshing. This is nice. So we met at Applebee's, he was taller than me, and so I thought hey, this could be love. (laughs) You know, don't really require much. And so we sort of pursued a friendship, and then that kind of turned quickly into something more than a friendship, somewhat of a relationship. He became my moderate to intermediate significant other in a short amount of time. But keep in mind, the alternative to hanging out with him at Applebee's is hanging out in my brother's spare room in Hueytown, Alabama, which wasn't bad. It just wasn't as good as Applebee's (laughs) because they had alcohol and appetizers. All right. So... You know, when you go into a relationship, you realize you're taking baggage with you in situations, and all of us, if we've ever tried today, we suffer for some form of PTSD. And um, his seemed to have been he was very quick to kind of just Go off, You know, he had a very quick trigger. So we could be talking about something that really did not amount to much. And the next thing I would know, he was railing, like, just screaming and just upset. And I'm not a person that does that. I don't like to argue. I don't like to fight. I would much rather just forget I ever met you and never see you again in life. <laughs> and I've been told that that's marriage. You got to just stay there, right? Okay. So <laughs> that's why I've never been married. I'm like, so I have to like him every day? So... Um, <laughs> everything's not for everybody. So um so the first time this guy went crazy on me, you know, I kind of withdrew for a couple of days and after a couple of days I called him and I said, "Hey, you know, I'm not sure what you're used to, but I'm not really the kind of girl that wants to rawr, 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 rawr. you know, it's not really my thing, you know? And he says, you know what, you're right, me and my ex-girlfriend had this volatile relationship, so I'm just used to trying to defend myself and arguing, you're right, you did not do anything to deserve that. And I said, okay, good. So we've communicated about this. That's not my thing. I don't respond well to a man's voice at a certain pitch, right, I think a lot of that goes back to my father not being in my life, but let's keep this a light story, okay? (laughs) Let's keep it light. So a few weeks go by, we kind of rekindle the magic of our moderate to intermediate romance at Applebee's, and um, some other random thing comes up and this guy goes off again. And this time I withdrew for a week. But again, I'm trying. I'm like, there's gotta be something to this relationship thing that everybody else is figuring out. So if I've made this grand move to come back to Alabama, come back to Hueytown, I'm going to invest in this dude from MySpace. <laughs> it sounds weird telling it in hindsight, but you know, <laughs> that's really the only perfect science, right? All right, so after a week of not talking to him, I reached back out to him and I said, Hey, so listen, I really don't respond well to that whole yelling and screaming thing. You remember that time I told you that? He's like, You're right. I'm so sorry. I said, Well, let's just do this because, you know, Let's just communicate. I said, let's do this. So if you ever like scream at me again, let's just say we have effectively broken up and we won't ever have to talk again. Okay? And he's like, whoa, what? I was like, yeah, let's just say right now, if you ever do it again, we'll just break up. But that'll be the breakup. We won't talk about breaking up. That will be the breakup. Okay? (laughs) That'll be it. We'll be done that day, that moment, that second. Okay? So he agreed. So I said, cool. I'm sure this won't happen again. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Magic City Classic. It's a huge, huge football game. And so, in all these years that I had moved away, I had not been able to be here to attend the Magic City Classic. And so, this is my first year back in Alabama. And so, I said, wow, I want to go to the Magic City Classic. So, I say to this guy, hey, do you want to go to the Magic City Classic? He said, sure. And just so happens, one of my good girlfriends was going to tailgate, which is really the magic of the Magic City Classic <laughs> is the tailgating. And so, she had gone in with some friends, her and her husband, and they had a tent they had purchased, and they had the, the space allotted, and a portion. and a DJ and food, and they invited us. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Not only am I invited to a place that has a porta potty but (laughs) I actually have a date because I'm chronically single, and I actually have a date that's taller than me to come to this event. So um, along the way of getting to know this guy, you know, there were some things, you know, he wasn't like, you know, he was employed. I don't know if it would be gainfully employed. All right, he had a job. Um, he didn't have a car, but you know what? I've had guys that had three cars that didn't like me, so that's not really a big deal, he didn't have a car. And um, he didn't have a cell phone, but listen, this, the thing is, he, we could communicate on MySpace, and then the gas was off in his house and he would warm up his bath water on a hot plate, <laughs> in a pot, but you know what? I think what we should do, we should stay focused on this. Because I feel like you guys are judging me more than him. So this is about him and his bad choices, not mine right now. So anyway, I'm excited, I have a date, going to the Magic City Classics. So the guy he worked for um Pepsi. That was his job. And his job was um I mean, it wasn't like in marketing or, you know, sales He was the guy that put the Pepsi on the shelves in the store, okay? So I said to him, I said, hey, maybe when you're in one of your stores today, could you just grab some things for us to take to the tailgate? You know, maybe some chips, some soda, some bread, something like that. Because I don't know how it is, you know, in your world, but I have friends that if I show up and I eat things I didn't bring, they're like, hold up. How many plates she going to fix? And I didn't want to have that happen. I wanted to come bearing gifts. So, he brought, um, he brought um, two loaves of bread, he brought some plain potato chips, and he brought some sodas. I don't remember, but I'm assuming they were Pepsis out of the back of the truck that he didn't actually pay for. All right. <laughs> so, we go to the tailgate, we're eating, we're drinking, we're dancing to the DJ, we're Peeing in the porta potty. We're just having a great time, right? We're having an amazing time. I'm like, this is a successful night for me. I have a date. I'm eating. I'm drinking. I'm at the magic. This is good. This is why I moved back home. Okay, and so. The evening is ending, and guys, it's like so many people out here at this event, and so it's just people hanging out, it's getting dark, and so it's like, we're tired, we've had a good time, yeah, let's call it a night, okay, great. So as we're walking away from the tailgate, we tell my friends goodbye, thanks for the invitation, had a great night, we're walking, um, I parked a couple of blocks away, and so we walk into my car, and he says, um, man, nobody really ate any of the stuff we brought, And I thought, wow, that's wildly unattractive. (laughs) I said, well, we ate stuff we didn't bring, so it all equals out, you know? So, walk a few more steps, and he says, man, like, I don't even have bread at the house, I wanna go back and get that bread. (laughs) And so in my mind, I'm thinking, what does a broke fool say for 600, Alex? That's what he says, I wanna go back and get the bread. (laughs) so at this point I'm like wow this is really happening but we're still walking towards my car he didn't go back towards the tent to get the bread so I'm like wow okay we'll just keep walking so we're still walking and then he says I mean nobody ate those chips I was like at this point I had to say something I said look you know what I found my home in somebody's Doritos so if somebody takes home those potato chips it's fine it equals out it's all good to which he replied Doritos ain't chips (laughs) <laughs> what? What? I can accept you not having a car, a phone, no hot water in your home. I can accept you questioning, you know, your, your birth, maybe not even loving your mother, but Doritos ain't chips. What kind of idiot have I been kissing in the mouth? What, what is happening right now? Oh my gosh. So we're walking, and I really don't even think we're having a real conversation, but when he says Doritos ain't chips, I said, what? I said, yeah, Doritos are chips, they're tortilla chips. Says it on the bag, tortilla chips. (laughs) They're chips. So he says, no, they're not chips. And I said, Doritos are chips. We're still walking, but I don't think we're, and he says, no, when someone says chips, they mean plain potato chips. I said, no, when someone says chips, it means it's on the chip aisle. It might be. (laughs) Peanuts, popcorn, pretzels, Funyuns, Pringles, Cheetos. Pepsi is on the chip aisle, you should know this. (laughs) If it's on the chip aisle, it's a chip. Again, I really don't think we're having a real conversation walk a few more steps, the next thing I know, he starts cussing me out. I would say what he said, but I signed that paper to say they can play this on the radio and they got the FCC and all that, so. <laughs> I don't want to be bleeping out stuff. But anyway, he curses me out, he was 6'6", so he was flailing, and cursing me out, it was this really big scene. And so, and after he curses me out, he stumps off down the street, leaves me, and it's like dark outside, I'm walking, and of course, all these people are around, looking, around, like, oh my God, who is, and I looked around too, like, who was that? Who was, <laughs> did you see that guy? Who was he with? my oh, gosh, what happened with him? What's happening? Who was that? Wow, weird. So, as I'm walking a couple more blocks to my car, I said a little silent prayer and I said, well, baby Jesus, that was dramatic, but thank you for a way out. Because remember, that means we just broke up. (laughs) We just broke up at the Magic City Classic. So, I walk a few more blocks to my car. I know I'll never see this person again. I'm so relieved. And then I get to my car and he's standing at the passenger side of my car. And I had never been in a situation like this before, you know. I don't know how to handle somebody who's Acting like this. So I get in my car, I crank up the car, I don't unlock his door, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what would Jesus do? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. So I sit there for a minute and then I unlock the door and he gets in the car. And he's still just kind of huffing and puffing. And I say, I'm sorry. Were we talking about chips? <laughs> And he's just screaming, just take me home. Just take me. And I said, I can't move the car. I don't know what's wrong with you. I I can't drive with you acting like this. Are you drunk? Did you get stung by a bee? Like, what's, what's going on right now? And he's like, you don't always have to be right. Just let me be wrong. And I said, oh, this is about your childhood. okay, okay." this isn't even about me or these Doritos right now. So anyway, I told him I couldn't move the car. He gets out the car like he's, I guess he's gonna walk home now, I don't know. So he's walking off and then I remembered, oh wait, 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 and I opened the door and I said, hey Joseph, wait, I didn't check the room to make sure he ain't in here. Why is that, Joseph? Um, and so he turns around because he thinks now I want to engage and have this big cussing out thing, like, you know, this drama thing he's used to. And I said, Hey, let me get my phone because I told y'all he didn't have a phone, and I had let him borrow one of my phones so again. Don't judge me. This is about him. <laughs> I had two phones, okay. And so he he takes my phone and he throws it at me, and I'm like, Oh my God! So, but he throws like a girl, so it hit the ground, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I pick up the phone, I get in the car, and I kind of collect myself, and I'm watching him walk away. And if you ever seen like a nature film or something with like a baboon, and you know, the baboon is walking, and all you see is just like the pink ass on this baboon. I just saw his, he was just showing his ass. And as he walked off, I thought, well, that's another relationship gone, another story I have to tell about how it didn't work out. But all I really, really was thinking was, please don't let him go back and get that bread. Thank
0: you. <laughs> Eunice Elliott is the traffic reporter for NBC 13WVTM. You can find her each morning on Today, Alabama. Learn more at her website, EuniceWorld.com. Now, we don't all have stories about being accosted over Doritos, but we do all know what it's like to struggle in trying to find love. And if you'd like to hear more crazy stories from people's various attempts at love, then you should come to our next live event. It's coming up later this month on February 27th at the Avon Theater here in Birmingham, Alabama. Now, as I mentioned earlier, our last event completely sold out, and we expect this one to be the same. So if you want to be there, why not? Get your tickets ahead of time. It guarantees you entry and it is super easy. You can find all the details at our website, arcstories.com. And we're actually still looking for a few storytellers. So if you have a unique story about your own search for love or something having to do with relationships, then we'd love to hear about it. Just go to our website, arcstories.com, click on the story portal and let us know what it is. And who knows, maybe you'll be featured on our stage and in our podcast in a future episode. Now, the teller in this next story doesn't find himself in a confrontation with just one antagonist. Instead, he's literally swarmed by hundreds, maybe even thousands. You'll see what I mean in just a moment. Here's storyteller John Langford.
2: So there I was, standing in a convenience store in Harpersville, Alabama, Looking through the glass, watching my 15-year-old son drive our family's truck in circles around the gas tanks again and again and again with the shocked expressions on the store owner and the poor participants that were there at 11 o'clock at night, realizing that there was a swarm of bees continually following that truck all through this convenience store and, and I scratched my head in amazement and said, how in the world did I get here? Well, it began innocently enough, I must tell you. And that was, if any of you have ever seen the, the, the story from Disney called The Bee Movie, several have. So it was an innocent story, right? I mean, you saw the bees and you saw them in their best state of harmony. You saw a beautiful community. You saw so- societal love and um, cross, crossover between education and Uh, And working together so as Taylor just introduced you would think those things would be interesting to me so my wife and I were sitting there with our popcorn watching this and Suddenly it dawned on me our family is just at the intersection of life that we need this kind of harmony We need this kind of purpose. We need this kind of reason to work together so much like most of you would have thought the obvious answer was we should actually get some bees And so then it was just a matter of how, right? Which, in the world that we live in today, is really not that difficult. I mean, the god of Google can come up with answers on anything at any given moment, and so that's where I started. I had some historical perspective here. My father had actually raised bees when I was a small child. Now, what I remember about that was he had this incredibly cool stormtrooper kind of suit that he wore and walked through the yard. I don't remember if he was running or bees were chasing him or what, but I do remember the suit, and I thought, well, that's that's got to be part of the deal. And as I did my research, it, it became clear that you actually could, could just order bees. I mean, you literally, there's a guy up on Sand Mountain that's kind of the bees are for the state of Alabama, and you could order the bees from him, and... <laughs> And, and then you get a box, basically. They call it a hive, but it's a box. And so you set it up, and, and, and there's an accessory kit. You can order it. It had a product number. It had everything you needed. So the more I thought about it, the more I talked to my wife about it, I'm like, God, this is as simple as falling off a rock. I mean, we can do bees. And so sure enough, with a few keystrokes and a Visa card, we were in the business of keeping bees. Now, as I thought more about it, the story really got better, because not only had I stepped into this very simple hobby, but my children were gonna benefit in such incredible ways. Our daughter, Sally, was getting ready to go to college, and I said, Sally, if you have beekeeping on your resume coming out of college, (laughs) I said, what law school in their right mind is not gonna put you at the top of the stack when they see your resume, right? Sadly, I found out the next day she'd had a side conversation with my wife, Laura, and and had asked to be a conscientious objector to this whole bee project. So I was really not deterred, though, because the cherished apple of my adventurous eye was my son, Peter, who at the time was about 10 years old. And Peter and I were always in adventures of one kind or another, and I thought, this is perfect. We are getting ready to ride the white waters of adolescence. What could create a bonding experience like a man and his bugs with my son Peter and I, as we work with these bees. So suddenly it was even clearer than it was before that this was God's answer to our future. And so, um, so in a matter of about a month, the bees arrive. Now, the apparatus, I need to tell you a little bit more about that. A bee suit actually is, it's a coat. It covers you from, from, from banded armbands uh, up to your head. There's a hood on it that has a, a, a polyester screen on the front. That keeps, obviously, the bees from coming inside. You wear gloves. You, it recommends that you wear these kind of baggy pants, right, so the bees don't have immediate access to places you don't want. And, and so I pretty much felt totally self-protected with this, uh, this whole kit that I got. So uh, you had learned how to smoke bees. Now, that's a process of smoke creates calm in bees, much like smoke of some kinds, create calm in, in humans. And so, so in bees, you don't have to spend quite as much on that smoke. You actually can just burn some rags or some, uh, some sawdust and it works just fine. So I got my smoking gun. I had, uh, oh, the, the magic serum that you have to make, which is sugar and water, and set that up for feeding the bees. So all things were going swimmingly as we started our beekeeping adventure. Roll the tape forward about three years. In a word, well, starting with the fact that adventures of beekeeping went up and down. Uh, We were probably three or $4,000 into this project now. (laughs) Our 14 jars of honey had amortized out at about $400 a jar. (laughs) Best I could tell, the bees and my son both of which had started off with wide-eyed wonder about this whole project the bees believed everything i said my son thought everything i said was amazing at 10. right about 15 the bees and my son hit adolescence at the same time (laughs) their wayward flight paths and his smart comments were such that i knew that this whole story had to take a turn and had to take a turn fast and so His fathers are prone to do. I shared with my friends, and one friend by the name of Lee Moffat said, John, I have this great idea. He says, I have this vineyard in Silicaga." He goes, you know, this is a symbiotic solution. My vineyard desperately needs someone to pollinate. Your bees would be perfect for the job. He goes, you need to get rid of these bees. He goes, they might just change their attitude in a new location. So one that believes in social things like urban avenues I thought you know just a good education maybe a change in locale maybe these bees will turn their lives around and this is the perfect answer (laughs) so I agreed with it with Lee I thought about how I should conscientiously handle my son on this so he's 15 right so if you've had a 15 year old anything involving a vehicle and them driving is pretty much the motivation key that you need to turn to get them to do anything right so I said, hey, Pete, we're going to go out to the Moffitt's Vineyard Tuesday night. I said, you want to drive? He's like, absolutely, Dad, I'm on it. So in his mind, he's crossing county lines. He's doing it in the dark, and he's on the interstate. So it sounded like a great adventure. In my mind, he was the perfect freight carrier for the deadly bees that we were going to be taking down there. <laughs> so the night arrives. Now, I had researched this with the same sources that I had originally. They should be reliable, right? So... It seemed pretty simple. All you had to do to move bees was wait till the dark of night so you had good cover and they were sleepy and would naturally fall into a lulled state. Um, You had to have the right amount of duct tape to cover the front openings that bees can come out. You had to have your gloves, you had to have the apparatus that you normally had, and you had to have your smoker ready to go. So I said, all right, I've got all this. So, about nine o'clock, we show up uh, on the, or I show up with Peter driving down the road. He goes, Dad, where are we going? I said, well, one little detour before we go to the vineyard. I said, we need to go up in the organic farm and and visit the bees. I get the look out of the side of his eyes that you get from 15 year olds, and I can see where this is starting to head fast. And I said, uh, trust me, it's going to be fine, just let's go to the bees. So, now I'm starting to put my bee suit coat on. By the way, I got to mention, in the hurry to leave the house, the baggy pants that were my bee pants, nowhere to be found. My wife, who loves me normally, had obviously not loved me enough to get my bee pants ready that night. <laughs> so I had jeans on, probably these jeans, actually, and I thought, well, they'll work just fine. So I, I get out, I'm putting my bee coat on. I said, now, Peter, I said, this could get a little dicey. Do I have your backup, if I need it, out there? <laughs> Peter looked at me, and with all sincerity, he said, Dad, whatever happens however dicey it gets. You know me, you know my character. I'm right there behind you. Just call if you need me. Any of you that believe he actually said that have never actually lived with a 15 year old. (laughs) So he looked at me with that snarky smile again and I stepped out of the car on my own. So I walked about 100 feet to where the hives were. Well, again, the right smoke, the duct tape, I was ready to go. I started smoking the hive, everything seemed to be going well. I noticed, though, that some of, the, uh, some of the Jedi flight that came out to check initially what was happening with me being there uh, must have reported back to base because the, the voice of the bees was starting to go up and the duct tape was having to go on faster and faster. So as I got about my fifth round of duct tape on, I looked over at Pete and said, Hey, I might could use your help, buddy. All I saw was eyes pressed up against the glass with this wide-eyed look. So I then think, all right, I've got to get the top on quickly. Now the top of a beehive is critical because if you lose the top of a beehive, you've lost all the bees. So I start putting the duct tape across the top. Well, I'm starting to notice, now the average population of a beehive is six to 7,000 bees. And so given the seasonal adjustments and where we should be, there was probably about 3,000 bees outside the hive with me by now. So I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, this is a little different than I remember the Google report being on how this was going to fly. So I look back at Pete and I say, hey buddy, really, I might need some help about now. At that point, the windows roll up and the headlights go off. (laughs) So I think, okay, this is it. I really am on my own. Well, there was one other slight miscalculation. Bees by themselves in a hive weighed about 40 pounds. Well, these bees have been producing honey for about six months. So the actual weight of the hive was somewhere near 100 pounds. So, I've been working out, fortunately, I thought, well, I can probably do this. So, I, I, I reach around the hive, and if you're getting a mental image of, like, a, a bear walking through the woods with my hive, that's a lot of what it looked like. So, I pick the hive up, I start walking toward the cart. Now, I'm starting to cuss my son, as I best can, because I can I can feel the stings that are coming through the mask on the, on the hive. Now, I had a headlamp, to the credit of my intelligence, which would make sense to see the bees, right? Well... The problem was with the hive crushed up against me like this, the headlamp and, and the mask were pushed up on my face like this. So it was easy access for the bees. Now the swelling over the next few days wouldn't really tell whether it was eyebrows, nose, or my forehead that they hit first. But somewhere in the midst of that, they were hitting it and hitting it pretty well. So I started the 100-yard dash or the 100-foot dash to the truck. And as I got to the truck, I realized there was one other mistake. I had, I had left the tailgate up. So now I have 100 pounds of hive and a tailgate that's up. So I'm screaming at Pete, still cussing slightly, so I reach over and, I, and I'm holding the hive up against the truck like this and I undo the tailgate. Well, as the tailgate comes down, it hits the hive, knocks it back into me. Now there was a rather large hole behind me that I couldn't see in the dark. I stepped into that hole. And so now I had hundred pounds of bees, me, the swarm that was outside the beehive, and the tailgate of the truck propelling me back. Now fortunately there was a farm fence that also threw me forward once I hit the back. (laughs) So now I take the bees and essentially just hurl them into this truck. (laughs) They go flying up all the way to where they hit the back end of the truck and I think, you know, we're done with that crowd. So I head the hundred feet back to the other bees. Now while I've been doing all this, uh, the young Jedi and the other hive had been fully educated, so <laughs> they saw what happened with the first hive. <laughs> so now I had about 3,000 bees waiting on me when I got there as the welcome party. so. Duct tape in hand, I just started screaming and flying and ripping it around and getting it up, and, um, and I ran back. Now now is when adrenaline really kicks in. The combination of the beast serum that's running through your veins, the adrenaline, I got it back to the truck. So I slide it in, I, cl- I, I close the, the gate, I get to the cab of the truck. Now, now Pete's gotten a little of his courage back, enough that he'd unlock the door and let me come in. And so I get back into the truck, I said, drive so we head out to the main county road and as we get to the county road and we're driving down the road pete's driving now uh, he notices that there were five or six passengers that came in on my b suit and that are now flying around the cab of the car so if you ever saw an 80s movie where those girls in the horror movies would scream as loud as it yeah that was peter so I, i said just pull the truck off well the only thing nearby was a church lot that we could pull into so we pull into the church lot. I can see this just gigantic swarm in the red brake lights of the truck that's going around the back of the, cab, back of the truck. So, before I could say no, Peter dives out of the cab of the truck. Yeah, you can see where this is going. Now the swarm that was in the back of the truck makes its entry to the front of the truck. I jump out my side of the truck and Peter and I stand looking at the truck as if it were on fire. And realize that the bees have just taken our truck. (laughs) Now I was the one with the sort of bee suit still left on. Now I have to mention, by the way, the blue jeans were the worst possible decision. (laughs) The attacks had hit below the waist a lot faster than you would think. So I crawl my sore body back into the truck and I think, all right, here's the solution. I'll use the, the smoke gun and centrifugal force, we'll roll the windows down, and I'll just start doing donuts around the lot of this church parking lot, and between me swatting and centrifugal force, we'll get as many out as we can. Well, believe it or not, it worked. I got probably all but five or six out. So I scream at Peter, he starts driving, and the deal with Lee was uh, that I would call him, I said, I'll call you when it's time to head to the vineyard. So I call him, I have a panic in my voice, plus the, the serum from the bees is starting to swell my tongue. So I said, I said, Lee, Get the Benadryl and water and get the hell to your vineyard now. <laughs> so we start driving down the road, and he obviously heard me well because he's flying along out of his house. I see his car pass, and at first it's this look of concern because the swarm of bees stretches about a quarter of a mile behind our <laughs> truck now. But, but then it's this look of horror because he can see the conversation that's going on between Peter and I. So I get a text from his son, Pierce, and he says... Dad forgot the water. So I'm like, well, I've got to have water to take the Benadryl. So I said, all right, Peter, here's the deal. We have to stop at a gas station. (laughs) So we get to Harpersville, and we pull into this gas station. Now, we had the technique down. Peter had seen me do it in the church parking lot, right? So I said, you're driving. I said... I'm gonna jump out just as soon as we get to the door of the convenience store. I said, you keep driving and drive as fast as you need to so that the bees don't catch up. So as I jump out into the convenience store, the horror that was on the look of the poor convenience store clerk and the people that were there was beyond imagined. But um, they still took my $2 for the water. I thanked them. I watched my son, now Lee had pulled up by this point, his son and he were laughing so hard in their truck that I wasn't sure the Benadryl was gonna get to me at all. So I text him saying, just throw me the damn Benadryl. And so as soon as I run out, he throws it out a window. I grab it just as Peter's truck comes flying by, he kicks the door open, I dive in and we're off again with bees still coming out of the gas station. We made it to the vineyard. I had consumed enough Benadryl at that point that I'll never be quite sure exactly what happened in the vineyard. <laughs> I remember vaguely putting the bees in the Cabernet section, to which I then find out they need to be in the, the Merlot section. And so, as I got through the field and I had berry crawled, carrying these, these hives to the new spot they were supposed to be, I turn around and Lee says, Don't panic now, but did you ever see in the movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where the tarantulas were all over his back? That's the bees on your back right now. (laughs) So sure enough, there were thousands of bees on my back at that point. And again, the stupor of the Benadryl kicked in. All I could remember was my second grade teacher talking about stop, drop, and roll when you caught on fire. So there was high grass all through the vineyard, and so I thought, I'll just roll through the grass. And so as I rolled through the grass, almost in slow motion, the recognition came that this could be the lowest of lows of my time as a father. (laughs) And I thought through the legacy of good and bad decisions that I had made over my past, and the, the risks that I'd taken, and the things that I'd stepped into maybe not fully as aware and educated and prepared as I could have been, and this was clearly one of those. And I had to laugh and think, you know, sometimes it's the best of misfortunes that you have, amidst the dreams that don't work out to any degree like you had envisioned them, that the best of memories also come around, and so we likely will not forget the smoky night in the vineyard, nor the gas station of circular hell that those poor people lived through. <laughs> and so sometimes dreams are worth the tragedy that ensues. Thank you.
0: John Lankford is the founder and president of both the Parnassus Group and Urban Avenues. You can find him on Twitter at J.B. Thank you for listening to the Art Stories Podcast. I've been your host, Chris Kinsley, and you can find me on Twitter at Chris Kinsley. This podcast is produced by Taylor Robinson and myself. Francisco D'Andrea composed our theme. Special thanks to Eric Chapman from Symmetric Sound for audio expertise. If you enjoyed today's story, please subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes, and, you know, why not share us with your friends? Also, follow along with everything we are doing on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Arc Stories. Also, don't forget your tickets for our next event. Again, they are available on our website, ArcStories.com. There you can listen to other stories, stay up to date with all of our events, and even submit your own story to tell. After all, we are always asking, what's your story?